Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. Welcome, everybody, to The Confessional. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined, as always, by trusty producer Jimmy Seleski. How are you, buddy? How's it going, dude? You can always trust that we will have technical difficulties with right. the iPad. Well, you're, you're, you're trusty just, you know, half an hour later. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Right. It doesn't mean you're not trusty. There's actually a, a, a you might enjoy this, or you might not. Um, right. But the difference between accurate and precise. So accuracy is that you can always hit the target you're aiming for but precision is that you will always hit the same thing but it might not be what you're aiming for so i'm a very precise well you're telling me you're telling me precise is is not as good as accurate yes really i feel like it'd be the like i could say something precise is like super accurate if i made a point if it were accurate right it would be a correct point but if it were a precise point that I could be making a precise point. I don't. Point that's I don't think. Are you sure that's not reversed? I, I feel like precise is is the uh, is the king of the jungle when it comes to those terms. I don't know, dude. I don't know. I used to think approximate was awesome, and now I realize that actually the worst. <laughs> now you look like an idiot. All those years you're going around touting approximately. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me. Yeah. Well, if if I turn how out to be wrong, then this proves my point even more. So how embarrassing. Uh, Jimmy, we have uh, our co-host who's uh, who's dialing in on the Zoom. There we go. Uh, this this woman is is one of our favorite people here at the Confessional. She was a great Baltimore comedian. Now she's a great Chicago comedian, um, and she's uh, I think she's getting her own podcast going soon. Uh, Christine Ferreira. Hey, Christine. Hey, you guys. Nice to. See you, hear you. What's uh, tell us about your your stuff you got going on up there in in Chicago? Well, it's exciting. I actually am launching a podcast network, and oh. it's launching this week. So Whoa. you can, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, and you can find it at the Lincoln Lodge is our website. Um. So yeah, it's actually like a whole network of podcasts where the Lincoln Lodge is a beloved comedy venue in Chicago that's been around for about 20 years. And so during COVID times, we're starting to do more online stuff, um, including podcasts. So there's going to be just a whole bevy of different shows on there. Um, We have our first show launching this week. And then it'll just continue from there. So nice. What's anyway, what's Lincoln the first Lodge, show? That's where you What's the first one coming out? The first show. Actually, the first one is called "You Think That's Funny," which is uh, the host is the founder of the Lincoln Lodge, a guy named Mark Geary, who's really funny, um, and it's he's interviewing different comics about what they find funny that nobody else does or very few other people do <laughs> and then also what what they don't find funny oh that's awesome that i love that i love yeah. i'll tell you what yeah, i always i always find funny even though i know it's the hackiest thing ever it always makes me laugh when someone does like a i can't believe it's not blank joke you know 
That yeah. one always does it for me. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, Natalie and Mike, would you're totally welcome to be guests on that show. Actually, I'm probably going to be hitting you up to be guests on a lot of shows. Awesome. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. It'll, it's fun to be able to do stuff together still. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And speaking yeah. of Natalie, uh, our guest today, Christine, uh, this woman is a, a great DC comedian. She's uh, she's a part of the Redacted Tonight with the Lee Camp TV show. She uh, she's been on Two Dope Queens, and uh, she has a, a a a movie, American comic on Amazon Prime. No way. Did you know that, Christine? Please welcome. I didn't even know that. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie McGill, everybody. Hi. Our studio audience is clapping right now. To talk soon. <laughs> I was just like, even if I didn't talk yet, people heard my obnoxious laugh. So oh, like, that's all right. Um, so, Natalie, <laughs> tell us what you, what's going on with your uh, whole comedy world right now. I mean, it most it's mostly been moved on the Zoom, with the exception, um, weirdly enough, today I'm actually doing uh, an outside show uh, in the freezing cold. Well, this is the um, time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you have the grill uh, out. You have balloon animals for the kids. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe a swimming pool. Well, maybe maybe no kids at this one because uh, going to say some kind of naughty words. Oh, Although okay. my material really isn't blue at all. But yeah, you like, don't seem like a blue. I could say that on the floor. So <laughs> I don't. I don't like how we use the um, but, term uh, blue for like dirty. Blue is not a dirty color. You know what I mean? Blue seems like pure and, yeah, and vibrant. What's that? Yeah, it needs to be, like brown probably would have been a better or I well there's already black comedy so you can't do that. Right. right. I, oh, I would assume to be black with dark comedy. So like or brown maybe cuz why cuz it's a poop color? Yeah, cuz it's basically yeah, basically because it's <laughs> <laughs> But sorry. Well, do you guys know where do you know where the term blue comes from? Actually, Not to no. be like, like a total nerd, but it comes back from it comes from vaudeville days when um, they used to do like in the days of vaudeville, the material was just like over the top, disgusting, dirty, really like crazy. And then when they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, vaudeville is like famous for being just absolute like e- even just by everything. our standards, like it's. I, oh yeah, by wow. our standards, it Weird. was like very body. And so um, when they, I think when they started um, performing more at like, le- they started a circuit of le- more legitimate theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a rule, they started having rules about like, you know, can't, if we're going to have kids and whatever here. So what they would do is they would, um, when the vaudevillians were coming through town, they would give them a card with all the things that they couldn't say or joke about, and it was blue. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it was like a blue card or something like that. So anyway, that's where, that's literally where that comes from. Okay. Oh, that's be like this is the blue material, that's and you can't factoid. do the blue material. Well, they did just discover the world's yeah, oldest uh, comedy record is, and it's from the 1800s, and it's full of like filthy material. But I'm sorry, Natalie, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean that was pretty much. I mean, other than this one outside thing um i mean most of my stuff has been zoom and then the the show uh, uh redacted like we've been still still filming but we usually will film three 
we'll do um like two friday shows tape two friday shows and one vip in one week so mm. there's an episode another friday episode that airs the week that we are not allowed to be in the office and where can people see it um, um so if people want to watch just individual clips because most talk shows or late night shows have set it up that way um you can go on youtube um so like youtube.com slash redacted tonight but if you want to watch the full episode you know no skips in its entirety um you can watch it on portable.tv um some people can you can watch it like in your browser if you're watching on your laptop so you can also download the app um and then you can also just watch it when it airs on on, on rt.com like okay. you can watch it live there all right awesome and what, what's up with this uh this movie this american comic what's that about oh so that was filmed so it was like a kind of like a comedy i would call it more like a comedy documentary than a film but they describe it as a film like in like on imdb like amazon <laughs> so um so yeah it was basically like a like a like a comedy showcase that we did at this black box theater out in Charles, I think it was Charles County. Cause it was like just beyond Prince George's County. Mm. And it was me and seven other comics. Um, I'm going to feel terrible cause I'm not going to remember everybody that was on it off the top of my head, but it was like Martin Amini, Nick Hopping, uh, Leon Scott, Wendy Robleski was on it. Okay. Um, Very um, mm. so I'm feeling terrible cause I know I'm losing somebody out, but no, you got um, a lot of them. That was a pretty uh, good percentage. Also. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was, so it was, um, like footage of us, like talking about how we got started in comedy and like where we think it's going and like mm-hmm. stuff like that interspliced with our sets. Nice. Um, so that was, yeah. So that was mostly what it was. And it was like, we had filmed that. I want to say, I think that was 2018 that we filmed it. And it was like, we didn't really know when it was coming out. It mm-hmm. was kind of a surprise. Like all of a sudden we, we were all tagged and stuff hmm. on Facebook and we were like, all right, it's on Amazon. I was like, what? what? <laughs> and then everyone was like, what is this? So you're, just a, you're a movie star. <laughs> overnight. You're overnight yeah. a movie star. It's a real yeah. Hollywood story. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I don't know how many people watched it. I mean, it's like, I think if I tell people that I'm on it, like people will make an effort and watch it, but you know, it's, you know, it's not like a Comedy Central special or right. anything like that, but right. it is you know, cool to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Credit, you know, people sure. actually are able to find me that way. So definitely. So, yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by, Natalie and Christine. Uh, today we are discussing depression, nature or nurture? Question mark at the end. Um. Now, this is uh, believe it or not, this is actually something a lot of uh, comedians can relate to. Uh, depression seems to be a, a common thread among performers in general. And, uh, you know, it's just always a, a question of was it caused by something or am I just born this way? Natalie, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, your history with depression? Yeah, so I, you know, full disclosure, you know, I personally do not have it. But like my, um, but there is a family like risk for it because uh. there's a history of depression family. Um, and so it, the, the earliest case that I know of, so actually the earliest case that I know of is my grandfather. So mm. my grandfather died, uh, had depression, um, and died by suicide uh, when I was three, it was mm. like shortly after Christmas. Do you remember it? 1988. Um, no. So the funny thing about that is like, I've known, 
I actually have no real memory of my grandfather. Like, I'm not even sure if, you know, we even got to meet, honestly, before he passed hmm. away, because I think health was kind of really backsliding around the time I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, I'm like four from the bottom of like 14 or 15 grandkids, like on that side of the Oh, family. wow. So this is my paternal, my paternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of my cousins have better memories of him because most of my cousins are like Gen Xers and like they, you know, actually hung out with him. You know, they actually, yeah. you know, saw him like uh, where my mom grew up in Buffalo. But, you know, by the time I came around, like, I think he was getting sicker. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so in his case, um, I really think he had issues with like mental health for probably like, I don't want to say most of his life, but mm-hmm. like a good deal of his adult life because mm-hmm. like it, I was just kind of getting mostly like anecdotally from like what I hear from like my mom or like my aunts and stuff like that is that, you know, he always seemed to be like, kind of kind of off you know emotionally in some way but i don't know if it was really officially diagnosed until mm-hmm. it was basically too late really um, so he, he never what, well, he never had a diagnosis well, before the before the suicide i don't think he had i don't think he had one like when my i don't know by the time it the suicide yes mm-hmm. but like but i think you know when my you know my mom and like her siblings were growing up you know and you know noticed things like i don't think he was formally diagnosed like back then Mm. so um but at the time um it was he wasn't just suffering from depression he was also suffering from diabetes Uh which um is kind of a lethal combination because it's like you know depression is one thing but then when you have like a chronic disease it Mm -hmm. um kind of like requires you to like give a shit about yourself mm-hmm, uh because mm-hmm. it's <laughs> right, about yeah. like maintenance and right, yeah. making sure that you're healthy um and he was not in a, in a space for that and so when i was younger I, I would say i was like six or seven and you start noticing that you know you're when you figure out like what a family is and what mm-hmm. makes up a family, a family unit it's like okay so most people have uh two sets of grandparents, you know, on both sides. And then I realized I have one grandmother and then I have two grandparents on my dad's side and like, hmm. I'm missing one. Right. So I, I had surmised that I'm like, okay, this, uh, this grandpa's probably dead. I just don't know how he's dead. So mm-hmm. like I, at one point I asked my mom, I was like, you know, how did he die? And her answer to me then was that it was diabetes, mm-hmm. which um, to be fair, you know, I would not if I was in that position and I had to, you know, I was asking like my my child was asking me, you know, like how did my dad die and that was how he died Mm -hmm. and my kid was like first grade or second grader. Right. I maybe would have lied to or or I I don't know if I would have had, you know, the tools to like try to Yeah, I mean how do you explain find a way to explain that to a kid. Mm -hmm. So I understand why she lied to me. And to be fair, if he had not had depression, you know, or if he had not even shot himself, um, which is how he died, mm. um, I, he probably would have died of diabetes mm-hmm. because what mm-hmm. had happened was he had gotten, when my mom finally told me what happened, um, it had gotten to the point where they were going to have to amputate one of his legs, mm. which is what happened. They am- amputated one of his legs. Mm-hmm. At that point, he like he was so far gone. Like, if there was no way to save it and he didn't really care enough, uh, enough about himself mm-hmm. to like actually do the things to like make sure that they weren't going to take the other leg right and then um i got to the point where they did have to take the other leg mm. he was just like 
worse. Oh and basically before they had a chance to do that, that was when he killed himself. Oh, so, man. Uh, how, how old was he? So he was, oh, God, I think he was 70, 71. Okay, so that's pretty yeah. young. Um, yeah, yeah, so he, yeah, he wasn't old, yeah. Um, he would have been, he actually would have been 100 years old, I think, not last year, the year before that, in 2019. Now I'm doing the math to figure out how old Natalie is. Three, yeah. three and <laughs> eighty-four, right? Born in eighty-four. Uh, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I was born in eighty-five, so I was three. Oh, okay. I was three when he died. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, so, so my mom did eventually tell me how it really happened, mm-hmm. but she, she wasn't the one who told me that was how he died. Um, the person who told me how he really died was my aunt, my aunt Janice. Oh, how old were you? And um, So I was probably 12 or 13. I want to say I was 13, mm-hmm. I think, uh, when I found out. And I was um, I was staying with another aunt of mine who was living in Virginia at the time. It was like I was just hanging out with them for the summer. And a bunch of my relatives just happened to be there at the same time. And um, my grandfather ended up coming up in conversation. I'm not exactly sure how, mm-hmm. um, but then they, you know, end up mentioning, you know, what had happened, how he died. And then I was just kind of like, I wasn't really even part of the conversation. I was just kind of like sitting like on the outlier. But then when I heard that part, my ears perked up, sure. obviously. That was not the story I was told. So I was like, um, and then so I literally turned to my aunt. I was like, wait a minute. I thought he died this way and she was like no he shot himself oh my and goodness. i think they were kind of like so they were look looked at me kind of surprised that i didn't know that like they were they were a little like why didn't you know that uh, they didn't say, like they didn't say that really sure. but like their faces kind of said it you know mm-hmm. uh so but my mom was not in the room when that happened so she didn't know that that was how i found out oh uh, okay um so did you tell um, her and then i yeah. So the the way I think I ended up approaching her about it was, I think it was maybe like health class or something like that. We started, there was like some type of, you know, unit on mental health and they wanted us to do some type of project about it. And so I decided I would do like a brochure or something, but I basically used that as an opportunity mm-hmm. to ask my mom about like what really happened, mm. you know, and at that point she was, you know, she, she didn't, she didn't try to bullshit me at that point like she right. just out told me the story but you know but i i think that's in, in general i think that's been something i mean it's hard for everybody but it i could see the older that i got how hard it was mm. for my mom mm-hmm. to like actually talk about that story. yeah yeah and then i mean kind of like reevaluate my entire life like you know when i think about like father's day or anything like that mm. like he just he never came up and she never brought mm. him up Never, he never came up at like other family events the way other family members did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think what maybe, you know, what helped was that my grandmother was still alive up until that point. And so everybody okay. kind of just, you know, circled around her, you know, sure. so obviously like he wouldn't, you know, come up as much. But, but no, it's like she would never voluntarily bring him up and uh-huh. other family members wouldn't either. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, so I really, I guess I really shouldn't be surprised that it took me that long mm-hmm. to figure out how we really died you know mm-hmm. um but but the uh the aunt who told me at the time she she was suffering from depression and i had known she she was diagnosed probably i want to say 90s 
like, it was like 95 or 96. It was like around the time I started middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was like not a secret. Like everybody in the family knew that she was struggling with it because she had been struggling with suicidal like ideation mm-hmm. like for, for years. Um, and, um, and so I would say this was like July or maybe like June, it was like June 2009. Um, uh, my mom had, my mom would usually do like this, like once a year she would try to do like some type of family dinner right. like sometime during the summer or during the fall and try to like get as many people as possible because we have a big family and it's hard to like get everybody together sure. in the spot um and so uh my aunt uh janice uh ended up coming to that and i remember i hadn't seen her in like probably like a year or two. it had been a little while since i had seen her um and uh and i she looked like noticeably like in a pretty good mood she was like pretty upbeat which mm-hmm. is kind of like for me i'm kind of used to seeing her kind of like even keel like mm-hmm. not like showing like too much emotion you know i mean her person to, to me her personality was always defined by like right. by that like right. not getting like super yeah anything yeah about that she was, she was always kind of aloof in my opinion but um she seemed kind of like happier than usual which for me, I didn't really think anything about it. I was more like, oh, like she seems to be in a better mood. She must be doing a lot better. And um, I remember one particular time during the dinner, I was like in the kitchen and I saw my aunt like eat like a piece of cake and which sounds really innocent, but she's had issues. She had had issues with like like pancreas with her pancreas and like uh-huh. processing like certain types of food uh, and we had known for years that she pretty much was not allowed to eat really? any type of baked good anything like ever like that was like done oh my goodness you know because it would just like, really like fuck up her insides and so i'm in the kitchen and i'm like seeing her like in like one of the kitchen island like eating a piece of cake that my cousin her youngest daughter um had brought because my mom asked her to bring like a pound cake for the thing and I'm staring at her eating it. And I'm like, this is weird. I don't, I feel like this shouldn't be happening, but I don't remember why. Hmm. And then as soon as I thought that my cousin comes like bounding around the corner and like trying to like snatch the, the piece of cake out of her hand because she knows she's not supposed to have it. And it was actually kind of comical because it's like, it kind of looked like a cartoon. <laughs> like my cousin is like my aunt out of the kitchen, like trying to get it. Right, and, like like, yeah. and like, and like, yeah and my cousin's like like what is wrong with her is like she knows i she knows she's not supposed to have that like what's the deal so like um flash forward about like two weeks later um in my bedroom um in silver spring and i get a call from my brother and my brother is like hey i got some you know rough news um i just found out like aunt janice died Mm. and i was like what and he's just like, yeah, I think they said that she, you know, died in her sleep. You know, I don't have like a whole lot of details. Like, mm-hmm. like you can call mom later. Cause I think mom was, I think probably just uh, delegating sure. <laughs> like other people to tell people. So we right, could get right. to people faster. Uh, she hadn't gotten around to telling me yet. Um, so, and I remember being like, that's weird. Cause she was only like 54, I think at the time. And mm. I was just like, died in her sleep. Like that doesn't sound right. Right. Um, or sounds weird. And so the memorial service was maybe like a week and a half later. And every, like this point we're like at, back at my cousin's house. So we're not like, like at this um, like banquet hall or something like, you know, after the service. And, um, and then um, 
uh, my oldest cousin, her oldest son, um, asked some of the kids that were in the basement with us to like leave for a minute because he needed to talk to the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> You're making like the kids leave. That's the we're about. Yeah. That's never, back. that's never a good. Um, and so, so he tells us that, um, when he went to my aunt's apartment, cause she was living in uh, Charles County at the time. Like when she went to my uh, aunt's apartment to like, you know, clean out her place and like look through her things, he saw that there were, specific like piles of things that were set aside for uh, my cousin's kids, like her grandchildren, mm-hmm. who would, at that point she had two at the time, now she's four. Um, but there were like two things set aside specifically for them. And when he saw that, he was like, oh no, this is like, this is weird, this is not good. And so wait, he wait. like starts like, what's, through, like more stuff. What's set aside mm-hmm. for him? Like, I think maybe like toys or mementos oh. or things, oh, things I see, that were I like okay. theirs, you know, right, or things that right. were like intended to be theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so my cousin, um, her oldest son, like keeps looking through like the apartment for something because that was really unsettling for him. And then he ended up finding a suicide note. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Mm. Um, so basically he was there to present the note to us. Oh man. And I was just like, oh, that is heartbreaking. That point, it was just like everything that I like, oh. like the dinner party, everything right. starts flooding. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. And like, I was doing pretty well up until that point. Obviously, anybody sure. would. My brother's looking at me like he's like, oh my god, she's gonna like blow because I was gonna like lose it. Yeah. And then um, so so they so they show us the note, and basically she says that, you know, she apologizes to us. But she said that the you know, the, the, the thoughts were like too much to bear. And, mm-hmm. you know, she gave us like a little, um, a little piece of like, basically she wrote like two or three sentences, like saying like, this is what I want. in like, like a program, if you do it, which mm-hmm. was like, it was literally like one or two sentences. And of course we didn't follow that. We're like, your life is more than two or three sentences. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be longer. So we didn't bother that part of the no. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the rest of it, was, <laughs> she's not gonna know. So, um, so yeah, it was that. And then she, she actually wanted her body, um, to be donated to science. So mm-hmm. we didn't have any type of like formal funeral where, like, we saw her in a casket sure. or any of that stuff. Um, so she, I mean, I think what happened is she, she, she asked to be don- She asked for her body to to be donated to. GW hospital mm-hmm. or I guess the medical center. So I think, I think a bunch of like GW medical school kids were basically like poking at her cadavers and stuff before, <laughs> before they cremated her. Cause it like with people per, like well, people, uh, <laughs> That you're making it sound like her. a bunch of frat boys poking her with sticks. Yeah, like I know. Well, when I think of GW kids, I do think of <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, former frat boys. Now there are trusted physicians of, of yeah. America, I guess. Um, but, uh, um, but, but, yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, after they disseminated, you know, the note, which was, which was also a kind of weird thing because my cousin like made copies of it, and I was just like, I don't know if I want a copy of this. Like, mm. I, I think I still have a copy of it somewhere. Wow. But, I mean, that is a morbid trip it, to Kinko's. 
Yeah, that's exactly. I was like, please tell me you have like a three in one thing at your house and you didn't take this. Oh man, Cinco's <laughs> because like, that would have been weird. Um, no, I think they had a. I think they had something at their house and they didn't take that out right. of the house because I couldn't do that. But um, I mean, I I obviously committed most of it to memory. Like if you see it, you can't really mm -hmm. forget it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think I need to look at it again. Um, um, but yeah, I, I know that, you know, after our cousin told us what happened and gave us the note, my other aunt was like, well, she wasn't really sure if it was something that maybe she had planned or mm -hmm. she already knew by the time that she was at my mom's mm -hmm. house that she was going to do it. And which would kind of, you know, make, you know, the other stuff that I saw at the party sure. make sense, like her being in a bad mood and her eating whatever oh, she wanted. I didn't think about the better mood. Bucket. Yeah, I have heard that people actually yeah. kind of get euphoric sometimes, like the days before they do it. But, uh, but uh, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. Do you think that's because of just like they've made the decision or like they're, is it freeing somehow? Like, yeah, I, I think, I think that's part of it because I know in her case, um, and we, we were not told this until, um, the day we got the note as well. She had been diagnosed, I think with early onset Alzheimer's. Mm. We did not know this. This was like also news to us. And we and so our the other theory was that like, you know, she got the diagnosis and she was just like, you know what, I'm mm. like I don't want to do that, you know, or do this anymore, you know, yeah. if the, if I'm going to be like robbed of my memories or robbed of you know what whatever that disease, you know, like rests from you. So, so that that is our theory. I mean, we're never really really going to know, mm -hmm. you know, she'd been struggling like for a good part of her adult life, you know, mm -hmm. but. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I really do think it's just like, I think it probably was a freeing thing for her, mm -hmm. you know, to think, you know, like, okay, this is going to be over soon or something, or I'm, I'm not going to be in pain anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I totally think that has something to do with it. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Natalie. It's a, uh, it's really heartbreaking to hear, but it's, it sounds like yeah. it's important yeah, it for you to talk about. Great. Do you have any questions or anything, Christine? Um, not right now. I just, I'm sorry that you experienced that because I mean, I have uh, my own history of depression. And of course, I have had some relationship to suicide and, you know, friends and, uh, but, but nobody very close to me and nobody in my immediate family and nobody, not like a, a best friend or something mm -hmm. like that. And I just, but I, yeah, I just, I can't even imagine. So I don't know. I mean, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't know. imagine the suicide. I've never had to like read a suicide note or find a suicide note. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I worry about my cousin sometimes. Sure. <laughs> like the, like, I don't know like what that was, what I can't even imagine what that was like for mm -hmm. finding that. Wow. Like having to find it and then having to tell all of us. Right, right. You know? yeah. So they, um, they didn't know so, that it was suicide until they found the note? Um, according to my cousin, yes. I'm sure that yeah. they probably, because, the, so she has three kids. I've, um, I have three older cousins. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure they probably maybe suspected that it was suicide mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. they've been you know, 
dealing with it alongside her, yeah. you know, since her diagnosis. So I'm not going to say that they were totally naive to it. Right. You know, that that was a possible possibility. But, you know, but like he didn't he really didn't know for sure until like he saw mm-hmm. the note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, wow. it wasn't like like here it is. Like he had to like look right. for it. Right. It wasn't like this. Wow. That's heavy. Uh, sorry I had to go through all that, Natalie. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share it. Of course. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> um, Natalie, is it something that your family talks about? I mean, do you guys talk about it amongst yourselves? Or um, So one other thing, well, so that's another part of it, is that I'm hoping that in the future that if one of us feels, you know, that maybe we're, you know, backsliding or we feel like maybe that we're having depressive symptoms or something like that, that we're honest with each other about it. That's one of the things actually that my cousin said after, you know, he disseminated the note, which was like, like, we know our family like does not want to go through this again. Mm -hmm. Cause he already, you know, we've already gone through it with our grandfather. So he was like, if anybody feels like, like they're losing control of anything or that you feel this way, like, please say something sooner than later. So he did say that, you know, um, you know, whether or not, you know, other conversations have been happening, you know, outside of me or among, you know, my other family members, like, I, I, I don't know. Right. I would, I would hope so, you know, and, you know, I hope that I would be a sound mind to let somebody know if I, if I was mm-hmm. feeling some way, because I really don't know if that's going to happen again. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little scary that it was my grandfather and my aunt. Yeah. I don't know if it's like one of those things where it's, Maybe it skips a generation, or maybe maybe like my wealth. mom will end up having it, or something. Like I really, yeah, I really mm-hmm. don't know. Like the only other family member that we that they mention that that also died by suicide, and I, I didn't mention this up top because I don't have enough information to expand upon it. But they said that another relative of my grandfather's, I think maybe his brother, had also died by suicide. Uh, you geez. know, but this was like many, 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 right. many years ago. God, it so, must have been so hard to be depressed. Like, that it was a congenital thing. <laughs> yeah. it, it, like, but imagine it like having depression in the 30s or 40s. Like, that must have been so difficult. Yeah, because there's like, there's no, there's no resource. <laughs> like, yeah, what resources like, do you? You have? know what you need is a good stint in the army, something like that. <laughs> or you go to one of those cuckoo's yeah. nest uh, hospitals. Where they just spray you with water and yeah, you're I mean, yeah, like the way that people treated mental illness, like, I mean, not even like fifty years ago. Yeah, like in, in, in yeah, and I don't even right. <laughs> it's already like stigmatized now, but like, yeah, they treated you like you were a crazy person. They electroshock, electrocuted you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I just. Yeah, it wasn't and, and like a century before that, it was like probably like uh, like exorcisms and stuff. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine. You just have a demon. All right, let's jump into a uh, confession here. <laughs> this looks like a standard case of demon possession to me. Uh, Serena Dunford from Santa Cruz, California, says the answer is C in regards to nature or nurture. All of the above. I know without a doubt that I inherited anxiety and depression from both my parents, but the way in which we have it varies. I genuinely think everyone has both. It's your individual experience that determines in what way it affects you. 
Hmm. Do you guys think everyone has some level of depression and anxiety? It certainly seems like almost everyone I'm friends with, you know, it's like, it's weird when they're not, it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. What is wrong with you? You know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm not really qualified to, to comment on it. Cause I've never been like, like diagnosed with any type mm -hmm. of like, like I've never had a professional like diagnose me. Right. I mean, I, I do feel like every person has a different set of tools or something that, that equip them to deal with something. And some people have more of maybe have more of a tool than, than other people do. So I, I feel like there's like a sliding scale in that. And then whatever, whatever you lack, you uh -huh. know, maybe somebody professional can right. help you with that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, that's like the best that I can. So, so you, you really, do. you feel like you've never, you've never had like chronic anxiety or depression at all. I've been, oh, I mean, I've I mean, everybody, anxious. everybody gets anxious. Everybody gets depressed, but you haven't yeah. had like, uh, you don't think you, this is a, a disease you suffer from at all. Um, I, I would say, I don't think I suffer from anything that would require like medication. Right. There's definitely times and especially with everything that's happened in the last year mm -hmm. where I, you know, been struggled to like get out of bed because sure. I was like, I, <laughs> like, there's I no reason to it's like i can do <laughs> all my work <laughs> right. from my phone like there's no yeah yeah or that's... just like things, yeah or just like things that never, didn't used to be difficult now seem a little like even the show i have tonight is a little anxiety inducing. yeah because, i know doing you know, anything I, now or seeing anyone is like i can't take it you know like even yeah. my family and stuff it's like i'm just so used to being alone now exactly so so yeah there yeah that's everything that's happened like in the last year has definitely, you know, uh, affected like how I interact sure. with people and, you know, and, or, or, or really has affected my reality. Cause it's, I just can't like step out like normally outside. Right. Like, I right. Could, a year ago and think everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, on mm -hmm. top of like, okay, now I got to do like a 20 minute set. And like, <laughs> you know, before I was maybe doing 20 minute sets like every other week or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And, you know, and now it's just like, you're kind of being thrown into an environment where you're you're doing more time, you're doing newer things that you couldn't really test before. Right, whereas, right. You know, before, it's like, oh, I'll just go to this mic and I'll see if this bombs, yeah, and then yeah. I'll tweak it. Like, you, like that's, that's kind of over for, for now, yeah. <laughs> other than doing it through Zoom. So that's like a whole other layer of, like, worry that mm -hmm. I didn't used to have, you mm -hmm. know, a year ago, you know. But I, I don't think, but again, I don't think it's something that I can't overcome. Right, just, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear it's, you. Also like, it's also like, what's the difference between, I, I ask this of myself a lot because I have had depression on and off my whole life and sometimes to a, a pretty like critical degree. And of course I've had friends, I've had friends that have been suicidal and dealt with that. And uh, I mean, I've dealt with, people who are having suicidal ideation, not people very close to me who have committed suicide. But um, but what I, I guess some of the stuff that I wonder about nature versus nurture is where do you draw the line between depression and sort of like everyday sadness mm -hmm. or grief or, um, or like, you know, the things that are going on in the world, like mm -hmm. with the pandemic, I mean, um, 
you know, for me, like some of it is like my own depression. And then of course, some of it is like the reaction to what's going on. And then that brings me to wondering about, I also kind of wonder about like, yeah, like there has depression always been this much of a thing and people just didn't used to talk about it? Or is it something that is sort of increasing over time with mm -hmm. modernization? I mean, my, I don't know, I'm not like a psychologist or anything. I have no background in any of this professionally, yeah. although my mother is a therapist. So I do, I do talk to her a lot about it. Actually, my sister is also a therapist. Wow. Um, so we, we, it's something in our family that's like mental illness in general is always been talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's never, so I grew up in like the seventies and eighties and I feel like nobody really generally was talking about it that much in society, but in our home, it was always something like my mother worked at the Illinois State Psychiatric Institute and we would go there sometimes and there were schizophrenic people and all different types of, you know, people with mental illness. And so I don't know, for me, it's like, I've always been around. <laughs> I've always hung out with the mentally ill. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's just like so normal and it's so normal to talk about and it's so normal that like everybody has some degree yeah. of it um but i also think that a huge part of it i feel like a huge percentage of anxiety and depression comes from social just sociality or like do you know what i mean like um like it comes so much of it comes from us as social beings like mm -hmm. the for me like it's like the feeling of like i'm not somehow right or i'm not good enough mm -hmm. or like i have a lot of depression that is when i it's like a very vague feeling yeah but when i get to the roots of it it has to do with like i'm not enough or i'm not good enough or i'm not like this or I'm not like that. There's something internally wrong with me, inherently right. wrong with me. Whereas I just was heard this study about depression in which they say to a certain degree, it's actually a healthy response mm -hmm. to um, crises, you know? Yeah. It's actually, it's a way of your kind of body and mind like telling you that something else externally is not okay. You know what I mean? Hmm. So it's like, you know, like just say for example, like climate change, like that's not okay. Like to live in a world where there's this like looming, you know, sort of catastrophic thing to be a little bit depressed is actually pretty normal. And to some extent, it's actually a healthy response to that. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So I think some of it is is that, but mm -hmm. anyway, mm -hmm. seeing the world I with twenty twenty yeah, vision. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and it's just like a reaction to yeah. like yeah. Obviously, if you're if we're poisoning the world or something like that, then well, like <laughs> I mean, N Natalie said she doesn't have chronic depression, so I guess she doesn't care about climate change. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, let's see. We have uh, Emma Paxton from Rochester, New York. She says both. Uh, 
There's some research that shows depression can be an adaptive response, which makes sense. It definitely has genetic components, but anything is learned too. What was your parents' reaction to things? Uh, probably adapted, adopted a lot of it, or the people around you. Music influences us too. Um, vitamin D levels, lack of good nutrition, negative thought patterns that seem so ingrained our brains actually favor negative stuff for survival, so we literally have to fix our own brains. Yeah, it does seem like a big part of just human struggles in general for me is that we are kind of a changing species. You know what I mean? Like we were designed to to be the hunter gatherers and that was like 99% of, of human history. And all of a sudden we're like thrust into this new world and our brains are having trouble adapting. Um I think, like with Christine... That's what I mean about that social... Right, right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and there's so much to... We see so much more and feel so much more. You know, it's like our lives are so complex, and we see, you know, we, we experience the suffering not just of the people around us, but of the 8 billion people around the globe, you know, via the internet and TV and, and everything. And I do think, um, like Christine was saying, you know, it, there's always this question of, is it actually increasing right now, or is it just being diagnosed more? And I think it's definitely being diagnosed more, but I do think it is also, I don't think that accounts for all of it myself. I feel, and I actually, oh, I'm sorry, just real quick. I actually, I agree with you. And I actually think that part of the reason that it might be increasing is that in some ways, I think it is part of evolution. Mm -hmm. Like I think it, I think it's because like um, we're sort of evolving in certain types of sympathy and empathy. Right. Um, my mom actually writes a lot about um, species evolving towards empathy. Wow. Which Interesting. Uh, certain species do. Yeah. Because it's like, weirdly, it's like a survival technique. Right. Um, so anyway, so a lot of species, but certainly humans are supposedly evolving towards empathy. And I think that's part of it. Huh. Um, I hope that we evolve sooner. But um, what I was going to say was um, uh, I feel like I saw like a study of I forget where, where it was, but it was like something saying that like our brains were like never meant to absorb like as much information that right. is like coming at us, like literally, literally every second or every couple of seconds, yeah. especially if we're like looking at our phones, like our brains are never supposed to be processing this much information at once. So, of course, like it would be weird to think that that wouldn't affect our brains or our brain chemistry or, mm -hmm. or you know especially with the type of news that we're getting yeah yeah I and also that has to do with like um well the information age and social media which is like for me if you know like if the theory that a lot of it goes along with socialization the the fact that so much of our socialization has moved to online and not just pandemic, but just in mm -hmm. the age of social media, um, you know, it's like moved to this other type of thing. Whereas like every time, you know, since the pandemic now I do probably more than I ever have. I'll like, I'll go, there's like some nature trails around here. I'll go out, I'll walk in nature. I mean, it is like, it's like spending a weekend at a spa, really? just one, one hour out there walking in the woods. And it's, 
I mean, it's like heaven. It, and and you're like, talking about a virtual tour of the woods on your phone, right? Exactly. I have an app, <laughs> I have an app you know, that's like, um, <laughs> and you can even litter in the woods. Oh, that's on your awesome. App. That's all I'm going to do. You can a camera on the back of a bird. Which I love to do. I right. Like <laughs> anyway, yeah. But, uh, but no, I think it's really, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's really intense. Like, there's also, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, going to allude to a bunch of, vague studies that I probably read half an article about That's all right. like, 10 years ago. But there was a study about like a tribe and I want to say, I'm going to go ahead and say Papua New Guinea. Just That's randomly a good one. Picking that. But like where they were like communities that's not like exactly hunter-gatherers, although there are some communities that still live oh, yeah. a lot closer to what hunter-gatherers did. And in Papua New Guinea, there are... Um, communities that live more in that way and they have like such a i mean they're called like happy people or something like that they have like such low instances mm -hmm. if any mm -hmm. like suicide depression anxiety unhappiness none of that like yep. they don't even i don't think they even know what medication mm -hmm. prozac or whatever is because like it almost doesn't exist in mm -hmm. these communities because everybody has a place and everybody is included in the community and everybody has physical contact. And there's sort of like a critical size of community that it's supposed to be ideal. Yeah. And I think, I think it's like 150, 150 people. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't understand why we don't live in little communes like that these days. Like I'm not talking about like a cult, like out in the middle of, de of the desert or something, but why don't we have just like little communities that we live in where you have all the stuff you need there and you can travel, you can go, you can do whatever, but like you have a little home community. I feel like the closest we thing we have to that is maybe like co-ops, like cooperative mm -hmm, communities. Mm -hmm. Like I know, that, I think there's still one that, as far as I know, there's still one that exists in Greenbelt, Maryland. Cause hmm. I think that was like the original Greenbelt was like one of the New Deal communities. Like, um, like the, I think that's that's one. I think there's also like a cooperative that's literally around the corner from me, like in in Silver Spring. Nice. So. So I, but I feel like I don't hear enough about those places, but right. I, I feel right. like in theory they exist. Yeah. Just, they, there's, it's not widespread. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> I'm really interested in the idea, like the history of intentional communities, um, but it's it really fascinating to me how many of them sort of go bad. You know what I mean? Because like, mm -hmm. <laughs> in the 60s and 70s, like, there were so many people trying different types of intentional communities and it's almost like in every single case like a, certainly artist communities that's a thing and i think there's even still i mean of course there's still some intentional like artistic communities and stuff like that but it's amazing how so many of them go bad and i and in in the same way they yeah. kind of fail in a well, it's weird to me and that like humans that are in that like each other that are drawn to each other like we come close in a lot of ways but never we never like move close to each other you know what I mean like why why don't people who why don't we just move into one community together with all the people that you're cool with I mean now that I'm thinking about it I feel like for me in my adulthood like doing comedy has been the closest mm -hmm. thing I've had to an intentional community because up until recently, it was something that you did in person with people um, right. and and pretty regularly, you know, like before that I was doing 
art, but so much of that is like, you know, maybe I would have an art opening once a year or something. Mm -hmm. So I would spend like a year in my studio painting and creating work alone. I mean, it was just, that's why I got into performance because it was like soul crushing. The isolation Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. was soul crushing. And, uh, and then for me, comedy, my experience was basically the opposite. It was, it was like having sort of an informal, but also kind of intentional community of like-minded people for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, very few jerks for the most part. So to me, I feel like once you start getting too organized about it, that seems to be where the intentional communities go south. Because I think what it is, is like sort of predatory type people see it and they're like, oh, look at these like suckers. You know, they're all like, (laughs) Well, they have like yeah. really good intentions. <laughs> right, right. Literally, they have good intentions yeah. to this intentional community. So I'm going to go, and it's like there's always some somebody who kind of infiltrates the group, it seems like. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's yeah, I was going to say it all that feels like that would just end up in somebody trying uh, an attempt for like a power struggle. Like somebody just wants to be a king or queen of something, mm-hmm. even though that's not what it was supposed to be about from the start. But I feel like people see stuff like that, and it's just like, I want to be the boss of it or I want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's, uh, let's read. We got one more here. This is from Haley Curie, Aurora, Illinois, not far from you, Christine. I think, I mean, it's in the same state. I have no idea if it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that is pretty close. How big, how big is Illinois? I have no idea. Illinois. About the same as Indiana. <laughs> oh okay thankfully i know the exact parameters of indiana it kind of looks similar in size to me whenever i see them i can't I even picture it's illinois maybe, it's like a long skinny state it's kind of, i would say it's about two marylands but i'm totally oh wow that's pretty i don't big know then. but chicago is pretty big i live in chicago a suburb of chicago and it's pretty big yeah okay so all right, so uh, Haley says, nature and nurture are a false dichotomy, especially for something like this. One acts on the other in either direction in so many different ways that they become indistinguishable. Nurture is a product of our nature as humans and acts upon our individual nature in some ways uh, that affect how we nurture in the future and so on and on forth until it's a distinction without a difference. Hmm. Interesting point. What do you think, Natalie? Is there is there is there any point in even looking into nature versus nurture? Is it all just interwoven? Um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I'm still trying to like <laughs> process that comment. You have to come back to me, <laughs> Christine. Uh, to me, it's so. I I agree, um, but I think it's the tricky part with depression is that. Um, it's like this thing of, yeah, like, is it, are more people depressed or are we simply diagnosing it more? I think we already covered that. But one thing that that makes me think about is if you start, I wonder this about a few things, but particularly depression is if you start diagnosing it and especially if you start medicating Mm it, then is it, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, I'm like borderline, I'm probably this close to pursuing medication for my depression. Like I'm on the precipice of doing that. And I actually was thinking 
about it and talking to my therapist about it just this week, mm-hmm. like two days ago. So, and the thing is, it's like for myself and I don't, I have no judgment about like people who get medication yeah. for that. I think if you know that you need that, then that's the best way for you. For me, it's like, I have this kind of fear of medication in general. So I'm like, is there, can I possibly just sort of like organically and through, you know, talk therapy and cognitive behavioral type techniques, can I manage my own depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety? So I'm like, and I've been going through this for like 30, 40 years. I've, I've had it since I was a teenager. So my question is sort of like, um, like there's sort of, I feel like the old school, like, you know, we're talking about people who grew up in the thirties and forties, the old school thing is like, ignore it and it goes away. Or what have you got to be depressed about? Or, you know, and then the sort of like jokey thing with like millennials and stuff like that, but probably my generation a little too is like, oh, you're such babies, you're such snowflakes. Mm. And like, everybody has anxiety, depression, ADHD, all the things everybody's got a thing you know and everybody's like over medicated and so i don't i mean i think it's such a case-by-case basis obviously but at the same time i do wonder if there's an overall if we just go right to diagnosing and medicating does that create a bigger bigger trend of well then that's just what you do so you just 12 year old, give them meds, 12, you know, 10 year old, give them meds. My five year old is like a little sad, give them meds. You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder about that kind of thing. Yeah. They used to give you whiskey Uh, in the thirties, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, mostly I, I found for me, I just, I wish I could find a way that wasn't meds, but at this point I just cannot, I just, to me, it's like having the flu or something. Like it's even if there's nothing wrong, I just feel like crap. Even if everything goes right, I it I can't enjoy it because I feel like crap, you know. And I hope to figure it out one day. And I'm I'm trying to. I'm taking more time to like see if there's there's something medically wrong with me or what it is. But uh, I've I've realized I'm not going to torture myself. Like I'm I'm just going to take meds because um, that's the only thing that works for me, you know. And I do kind of feel like it is. Kind of like Haley was saying with the nature and nurture being so intertwined now, it's kind of like meds are a part of our life, you know, whether no matter what we're doing. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't even be alive now if it weren't for medicine, you know, and intervention. And I feel like that's kind of just become part of our spirituality and a part of our modern, you know, existence. Um, So, but like I said, I wish I could have, I wish I had something like cooler that helps. I wish I just read like a whole bunch of Nietzsche and then I was like, nothing can harm me. It makes me stronger. But, uh, well, I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that has something to do with, um, you know, depression or having type of mental illness or being treated for mental illness being a little less, you know, st- stigmatized. Or I know that there are some people who are always like, you know, we should be treating these diseases the same way that we treat diabetes or any mm-hmm. other chronic like it should have been treated like that for a while and so like kind of like, from that standpoint i'm just like yes i am pro medication but i can also see like yeah christine's point where it's like um like did we consider any alternatives 
you know, mm-hmm. before we went straight right. to medicine because well, I know like some people are apprehensive about doing that mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it is sure. kind of fucking up your brain and you, it, they, and the first thing that you take isn't necessarily going to be the thing that helps. You mm-hmm. kind of have to try mm-hmm. a couple of different things, you know, before you find something that really like, yeah. works for you, you know. And, you know, I have friends who have been you know, struggling with like depression and PTSD and stuff like that. And, it, you know, it, it not only did it take them a while to like find something right, but, you know, they didn't like the way the me- medication made them feel or like it they made them feel okay enough that they thought that they could stop yeah that's always a thing that created problems later Mm -hmm. on and then it's just like well now we don't even know if you can use same medication you did before when you're feeling better yeah it's tough yeah yeah it's just yeah i'm i'm fortunate in that i like would as long as i take a a, the right dose of whatever i'm usually fine you know i haven't had to like try a a lot of different medications but um, I do also think that it's it is a mystery disease, in my opinion, to some degree right now. I mean, um, science really doesn't have a, a hold on exactly what it is, especially like this last wave. It, it is kind of like this mystery that's happening to humanity right now, and they haven't quite figured it out yet. And uh, so that's why I take medication. For me, like the main thing keeping me that I, I've come to this point several times over my life of like, okay, I just need to try a medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing that keeps me from just doing it is partly because I, well, to me, there's too much mystery around what they actually are and what they actually do and what mm-hmm. the long-term effects are. And my whole, the, the, to tell you the truth, the main thing that keeps me from doing it is I've never really had health care. Yeah, so no, that's I'm, a huge thing. That's huge. Yeah. That's why I didn't for a long time. I do now. I've, yeah. I've had it for about six months now. I'm on like right. Illinois, whatever their version is of Affordable Care Act. So it's like, that's why for the first time I actually mm-hmm. have like, I feel like if I run into a problem, I actually know where I can mm-hmm, go. You mm-hmm. know, I know I have a doctor and all yeah. that. But, but that's the first time and I'm 51, you know? Wow. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it for me is I'm worried that if I take the medication, then I won't try to do the other things. Right, like the, right. you know, then I'll just be like, okay, let's hope that does it, you know, and then I won't be doing all the other things I need. But then the flip side of that is I've been basically white knuckling it mm-hmm. for 35 years or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. which is insane. And then, then it, I'm just like, why am I, why am I making it, you right. know, harder for right. myself? So that doesn't make sense. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, um, I just wonder, you know, how like Americans have this sort of reputation of like, talking about anxiety and depression and like all these things more than other they do in other cultures i just wonder like is if you talk about it a lot does it mean that you kind of end up having more of it or do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. uh because i do find for myself like i do i have a therapist that i talk to regularly it's something i talk freely and openly about with all of my friends and family. Mm-hmm. And it's just part of my whole life. Like yeah. mental health is just part of health and that's just normal for me. But I do find that up to a certain point, I actually do have to stop talking about it. Like I have to kind of yeah. 
you know, have like a plan of action also, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it can't just all be obsessing about it, if that makes sense. Right, but, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I uh, health insurance is a huge thing that's that's always plagued me, you know, because I when I have it, it's not very good insurance, and I don't know how long it's going to last, you know. So I'm I'm always scared to like kind of get reliant on meds because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to get them. But I have found that there, I, you know, I catastrophize when I'm when I'm depressed, like everything's hopeless, I'm never going to be able to figure it out. I can't pay for anything. But when I am not depressed, I can actually usually figure out something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's a way to, for the, even though it sucks that our system is like that and it is very hard and it's probably even harder for other people, but I, I find that, like, I can usually f figure out some way to get it, you know? I can usually make it work. Um, but, I mean, it kind of makes me wonder if part of the reason that America sort of has this reputation of being like, you know, of so absorbed with our mental illness is because our healthcare system is such a nightmare because a lot of other places, they might have a lot of other economic problems, but um, almost so many other places have healthcare infrastructure, yeah. you know, and always have. And it's like, I mean, that's pretty different, you know, like I lived in Korea, which is not like, you know, I mean, they have like a whole bunch of things going on in South Korea. Um, but one thing that they have is just healthcare, healthcare, totally affordable, totally and excellent. It's like the top of the line. Wow. I mean, literally. And I started going to the doctor all the time. I mean, if I sniffled, I would go to the doctor because it was right there. You walk in and you just go and you and the doctors are like super quality, amazing. Mm. And it would be like ten dollars. I'm not wow. kidding. Wow. So it's like, you know, but I do I think it overall, I mean, that has such an effect. I mean, just the fact that they have like a an infrastructure for that and that you know, they don't leave people out. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, totally accessible. Mm -hmm. So I think that's huge. Yeah. But like Natalie, for example, do you think in either the case of your grandfather or your aunt, I mean, both of them were also dealing with like a physical right. illness. So I, I'm just wondering how, do you think that any of it had to do with like a lack of healthcare and or like the, their um, physical illness? Um, I mean, I think in the case of my grandfather, his chronic illness definitely com compounded things. Um, I don't know if it necessarily had any roots in his his access to, to, to care. Um, um, I mean, if anything, like what he probably suffered from was just probably the, the stigma of it or like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's just it's definitely something that um, I mean, it's something that can affect anybody, but like, but particularly for like African Americans, like it's, <laughs> it's kind of like a silent killer, hmm. you know, and I, I think that was, you know, that had something to do, I think that was definitely a factor um, in him maybe being diagnosed, you know, so late in life. Hmm. You know, um, in the case of my aunt, you know, I feel like she always had access to care, or like she was definitely, you know, you know, had her share of stays and like, you know, psychiatric wards and stuff like that, especially when like suicidal ideations really got bad. Um, but I, I guess yeah, in the end it was, you know, 
having like comorbidities or at least a, a future threat of that, that kind of, you know, in our theory, in our opinion, probably caused her to like kind of go over the edge mm -hmm. and like do what she did. But, mm -hmm. um, but I can totally see like, you know, having any type of like chronic illness or something that was already pre-existing, just making everything worse because we already have a healthcare system that doesn't really already adequately address that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of funny. I feel like we have more podcasts, you know, about dealing with mental health <laughs> than like actual right, systems yeah. in place to yeah, like help yeah. people get get through it because mm -hmm. that's just how our country is so <laughs> yeah, if you go in like apple, yeah, apple right. Street, we prescribe ted talks over here yeah. yeah seriously oh my God. yeah it's true it's crazy well and also like if mental health was more incorporated into the healthcare system not just like i mean like as it is i have healthcare. i have like basic medicaid because i'm unemployed but like still my health, my mental health is totally separate from that. You know what I mean? Right. But like if it were more integrated, like, for example, if your grandfather and I don't know what his experience was, but like he had to have a limb amputated. Mm. That's major, major. I can't imagine going through something like that yeah. and the and not also incorporating the mental health effects of that, the mm -hmm. psychological. I mean, God, it's so, so connected. But that's such an extreme example. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I've known of a few other people who have committed suicide and it seemed to be directly related to a major life illness. Like they got a diagnosis mm -hmm. and literally drove off a cliff. You yeah. Know, sometimes I like think that. like, I wouldn't want to do that fight, you know, like life is already so much of a struggle. Like if I had had something like that happen, I don't know if I would have the will, you know, to fight it and to fight through. Right. Like Robin Williams, I think, had a diagnosis mm -hmm. of something. Was, I can't remember. I think it was Lewy body dementia. I think. Yeah. Which yeah. is like really serious, you right. know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. And it's like, do they factor that in? You mm -hmm. know, like you need mental health support. You know, mm -hmm. whether you had depression before or not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Like any, anybody's going, especially like anybody's going through cancer or anything like that. It's like, they always encourage people to get into like, get into like a therapy group or get into a group session or something like mm -hmm. that. Like I I've seen more recommendations for that now for people who get it because they realize like, Oh, it's, it's not just like you get a port in and you get chemo and you're done. Hopefully maybe like, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> A lot of other, you know, emotional things that, that are happening on top of, you know, what's happening to you physically. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, this has been an excellent episode. Thank you so much, Natalie and Christine. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Any Twitters or Instagrams or TED Talks? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if people want to follow me uh, on social media, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is hoot holler snap so it's h-o-o-t uh h-o-l-l-e-r snap and my twitter is natalie s mcgill all right awesome christine do you have anything for me it's just um for me i'll just be having uh posting a lot of stuff on the link in lodge.com okay. but um but i did also want to say watch natalie on redacted tonight because she does regular segments on there that are amazing including my favorite one from the summer, which is Woke Little Library, 
Is that oh, what it is? Yeah. So actually that isn't even for the show. That was just for me. But it was like, oh, oh, okay. I thought that was for the show, but uh, that was for me. Um no, it's um because I wanted to experiment with doing like my own content that wasn't related to the show. And so yeah, but like a really, really like brief summary. It's basically me going to different uh, little free libraries in the in the DMV and um and basically poking fun at like all the stuff that's inside because if you any if whoever's listening to this if you have any of those in your neighborhood you know that sometimes people get put good stuff in there and other times it's like a chemistry textbook or <laughs> a manual or dvds like stuff that should not be in there <laughs> um uh so like you, you never really know what you're gonna get so it's kind of like me poking fun of at that um but then at the end of it um uh putting in uh what i would call like a woke book uh, or or something uh something that uh, kind of makes you uh, aware of like the, the plight of like the black struggle, especially um, in the wake of uh, the events that happened in the last year with all the protests in DC and across the country and the world, honestly. Um, uh, actually, a lot of the books that I put in were recommended reads from uh, Loyalty Books, which is a local bookstore in DC and Silver Spring. Um, it's black owned. Um, so uh, I try to tag them in my posts, <laughs> I don't know if they even know what the hell I'm doing, but I want them to you know, get get some shine because you know, like right. a lo- it's a local business, it's mm-hmm. a black-owned local business, and you know, and they're, you know, they're they're doing a they're doing a good thing <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, and and a lot of the neighborhoods that I go to, like they, like the the book selection isn't super diverse anyway, which is kind of kind of the point of it. It's mm-hmm. like trying to get people to to read stuff that they probably normally wouldn't see unless they were like in a book club or something that's awesome yeah that's great um all right i'm just going to do a quick plug for myself uh we have a group now called a support group for depression and anxiety where we eat cereal and you can find us on instagram or facebook and we're doing live zoom meetings on thursdays at 8 p.m eastern standard time we have a different speaker each week they've gone really well so if you at all feel that you are someone who could benefit from that, please come and see us. And uh, with that out of the way, I will just say thank you, Jimmy, Christine, and Natalie for another great episode. And we'll see everybody next time on The Confessional.